Hey, Dylan here. Before we roll the intro and get into today's episode, there's something that I quickly want to share with all of you listening to this. So given the current situation in the world, live content is becoming more and more important for SaaS companies right now. Webinars, roundtables, and online events are taking over. And if you've tried running any of these yourself, you know just how difficult they can be. And that's where today's sponsor can help. Restream allows you to broadcast live, engaging video directly from your browser to 30 plus social networks at the same time. They power over 8 million live streams every single month and are already trusted by companies like Cisco, IBM, and Microsoft. And more importantly, I love Restream and I'm using it every single day. So with this sponsorship, they're enabling us to take this podcast and my own live streams to the next level so that we can bring you even better interviews. If you would want to try it out, please visit restree.am forward slash Dylan. That's R-E-S-T-R-E dot A-M forward slash Dylan. It'll take you straight to the homepage and show them that you came from this podcast. They have a great free plan that you can use to test it out. And you'll also get a $10 credit when signing up using that link. So once again, that's restree.am forward slash Dylan. Okay, let's get into today's show and roll the intro. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the SaaS Marketing Show, a weekly podcast for founders and marketers within SaaS and B2B tech. You'll be hearing from senior marketers and founders at some of the most exciting companies in the world. You can expect to hear advice, results of experiments, and exactly what's working behind the scenes of some rapidly growing SaaS and B2B technology companies. No top-level BS, actionable stuff only. My name is Dylan Hay, and I'm one of the co-founders of Hay Digital, a PPC and CRO agency that helps SaaS and B2B technology companies grow. I just happen to also be the host of this show. So when we're not interviewing senior marketers or founders, we'll be sharing behind the scenes of our business and exactly what's working for our own customers, many of whom are just like you listening to this podcast. Okay, let's get into today's show. Are you looking for your next scalable acquisition channel? Something that consistently drives new signups and demo requests. Sounds like it's time to introduce PPC. At Hey Digital, we're experts at helping SaaS and B2B technology companies grow with paid ads. Learn more at heydigital.co. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the SaaS Marketing Show. So I'm really excited about this one. Uh, today, I'm joined by Tim Solo, who I'm sure many of you watching this, listening to this, or have definitely heard of before. So Tim is the CMO and product advisor at Arefs, who are one of the world's leading SEO tool sets to help people grow your search traffic, research your competitors, and monitor your niche. Tim, I'm really, really excited to have you here and really looking forward to this one today. So welcome to the show. Hey, Dylan. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. No problem. So today we're going to talk specifically about why you guys at Arefs charge $7 for your seven-day trial. Um, and the kind of way that you approach your marketing and how it ties into that. And um, there's lots of other things I want to cover with you guys, because as you have said yourself, the way that you do marketing is fairly unconventional compared to typical startup advice and SaaS advice that we see out there. So we'll deep dive into some of that. But before we do that, I want to just share for any strange reason, if someone listening to this, watching this doesn't know too much about ARFs, I want to just talk a little bit about the business and how 
how marketing is structured first. So I know that we're not going to share like exact MRR, ARR numbers, et cetera. But one thing I really love about you guys is that you've been very open about the business itself is a completely bootstrapped company, never raised any funding. Uh, I know that when I took a look on Twitter and you shared this tweet with me too, there was a tweet from your CEO, Dimitri, back in September 2018. And at that point, you guys were at a $40 million ARR and 60% year over year growth. And I know that you just shared a post on LinkedIn a couple of days ago about how you achieve 65% year over year growth. So I think it's fair to say that, especially for a bootstrap business, we don't see this too often, right? And it's fair to say that you're in a pretty strong position. So how have you guys kind of got to this point, I guess, from a top level without any funding? Because I think most SaaS companies listening to this are either looking for funding or have received funding. Often the question I get is like, okay, we bootstrapped to a point, but now we need to take our growth to the next level. Like, how have you guys gone about some of that process and what's it like working for a business where you are kind of totally in control of your own destiny without having to feed into investors all of the time, right? Well, this, this would actually be a great question to our CEO and founder, Dmitry, because he's the one who started the business. He's the one who made the decision to not get any funding. But from my perspective as uh, an employee, it is absolutely amazing because we don't have any pressure from investors. So we don't have to show like crazy growth. We don't have to burn through money. We don't have to hire like for the sake of hiring. And yeah, and this allows us to ignore, like you said, a lot of conventional startup advice because most of the time what I'm seeing, the reason why different startups and different companies, they track all sorts of startup related metrics is because they need to report them to the investors and they need to show how is the, how the company is growing what exactly is growing, where they're putting their money, what kind of ROI they're getting. We don't need that. We just need to see our growth curve, like how, how much revenue we're adding like months to months and year over year. And if that looks healthy, sometimes actually Dmitry's philosophy is that we are not growing revenue at all costs. So we, we could be doing many more things in terms of uh, marketing. We could be using a lot of kind of sleazy marketing tricks to kind of, uh, so to say, trick people in. Uh, but we don't do this because we, don't, we, we want to have a reputation of, of people who do like honest kind of marketing, who don't try to trick you in. And this is why we actually sacrifice a fair share of our revenue. For example, we don't even do retargeting uh, because it is not aligned, uh, aligned with our like, philosophy. We, we don't want to stalk people online if they visited our website uh, just once. We don't want to like irritate them with our ads so we don't have retargeting pixel uh, and this is just one of the things that we are not doing because we can afford not to do this yeah that's really interesting and i i interviewed a guy called bill king who looks after acquisition at drift he was on the show different approach for those guys of course but one thing i really liked about drift and what bill was sharing is that they've also focused so much on brand that and like just be, being that brand that people want to engage with too that it makes his job as a marketer significantly easier in some aspects too so i i can see definitely different use cases and scenarios but i can actually see some similarities between the two of you guys there because people at least from what i see from working within the space for the last few years like people have this affinity towards ARES, right it's like people respect you guys they love you guys and usually if they're if they're a customer or if they're bought into ARFs, they're really bought in, right? There's never any like middle middle ground. So I think it's really cool. It's interesting. I wondered, I wanted to ask you actually, as a marketer yourself, like was that a 
was that a difficult transition to make? Because I'm sure in previous roles at points, like if someone came in and said to you, hey, we're going to stop all remarketing or we're not going to do any of that or hey, we're not going to track some of these metrics that everybody else tracks. Like, was that a difficult transition period for you at the beginning? And how did you kind of go about that? Or was it, did it just make sense to you at the time as well? To be honest, I was kind of always like, all those limitations were coming our CEO and founder Dmitry. It was his decision not to use retargeting. It was his decision not to use like pop-ups, lead magnets, and many, many other like conventional things that, that are kind of effective, but uh, that could uh, put off quite a few uh, people and that could be considered like unethical, but some people it's debatable. We won't go into this, but yeah, it was his decision. And from my end, as a person who was, executing on the like with the tools that Dmitry was allowing me to use it was actually easier because the less tools you have at your disposal the more focus you can put into existing tools namely content marketing producing great content uh, on our blog on YouTube so we we didn't have to obsess over analytics we didn't have to set up like funnels track them we didn't have to do a b tests so this allowed us to have a smaller team because we don't have to have like data analysts, email marketers, CRO specialists, and like many, many other roles. So we can have like a small lean marketing team and we can focus on just a few things uh, that work best. And uh, yeah, I like, I always actually enjoyed it when Dmitry would restrict uh, some marketing strategy. He would, he would disallow us to use it. Because for me, it just makes things easier. I can just uh, keep focusing on, on stuff that works. Awesome. That's really cool. So one thing you touched on is that it allows you to have a fairly lean marketing team as well and really do things at high quality rather than just doing lots of things for the sake of doing lots of things, right? Tell me a bit more about what your marketing team looks like at the moment. Yeah, sure. So the main driver of uh, traffic to our website right now is our blog. I believe it is responsible for more than half of our search traffic we have three like kind of full-time writers so one of them josh is who is also the editor of the blog so every article that we publish goes through him and he's writing articles himself uh, then we have another guy sq and then we have uh, patrick uh, he's amazing technical seo so writing for blog is not his like primary job he's also like product advisor because he's like the most technical seo i know uh, but yeah, he's also contributing to our blog a lot. And we have uh, Mitchell. Uh, so totally, I'd say four people are working on the blog. So four people are writing amazing content for our blog. Then we have video team. This is Sam, who is actually recording, who is doing scripts, who is recording the actual videos. And then we have one editor, one animator, uh, who helped him to actually produce awesome quality videos. And then in our marketing team, we have uh, one designer and uh, two more people. One of them is working on like miscellaneous stuff. For example, if people reach out to us for partnerships or different questions or like some, some things within the product, like hints or like some onboarding tutorials needs to be fixed. And another lady who works uh, with conferences and swag. That's pretty much the entire market. Oh no, sorry, I forgot. No, actually those are all the people, but some of these people have multiple roles. Got it. Awesome. Cool. Thank you for sharing that because I, I always find, like me personally, I find it interesting seeing how different SaaS companies at different stages have their teams set up. And I think everybody listening to this also finds that interesting. I like that you guys have 
leaned into video as well because I've been watching like some of your YouTube videos recently and they're really good, like high quality. And it's good to see other companies going down that route. Again, that was something that Drift mentioned on the um, podcast I had with them is like the medium and the way that people are consuming content is changing in some yeah. aspects and we want to kind of lean into that. So yeah, that's, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. So let's get into the topic that we'd set for today was why AREFs charge $7 for their seven day trial. Now, just to kind of say before we get into this topic, I know that you've put together a YouTube video explaining exactly why you did this and what the time frame looked like because you get this question asked so frequently. So anyone um, that's listening to this right now should at some point go and check that video out. I think if they just search for the SaaS marketing vlog, that's the name of yeah. your channel, right, on YouTube or AREF $7 seven day trial, I'm sure they'll find it. And um, so to save you rerunning everything that you talked about in that video, like we're going to try and focus on a couple of the top level things as to why you did it, that people will be interested in. Um, but then we'll go into kind of how this has impacted the way that you guys do marketing and talk a bit about your content strategy too. But to give a, to give a top level. So I know from watching the video that when you guys started with ARS, like I think maybe even before you joined the business, um, Basically, someone could go into AREFs and not even need to create an account, not need to sign up and essentially use a lot of the functionality within the platform, right? And you said in the video that that really helped you compete with some of those like big players that were already in the market and get people into the platform, get people using the suite of tools that you guys have. And then not long after you joined, you started to introduce a 14-day trial towards the end of 2015 where you were starting to do a 14-day trial collecting credit card information at the beginning of that process too. And you said at that point in time, there were some things that happened in terms of like abuse of the trial, right? So tell me a little bit more about that. Like when you introduced that trial, um, what did that look like? What, what was happening? Yeah, so the trial was introduced because it felt like uh, a great way to provide kind of smooth experience for people because they would sign up for a trial uh, entering their credit card number. The trial was free initially and it was like two week long. So people could use all HF's tools like to their fullest potential without any restrictions for 14 days. And if they enjoyed the tools, they didn't have to make any uh, effort, mental or physical, to input their credit card and pay for us because credit card was already on file. So all they had to do is keep using us and we would automatically charge them. So like, I'm not sure like what's the psychology behind it and if it actually makes sense. But I think that if you already have your credit card on file and uh, you just keep using your software, the chances that you will keep paying are higher than if, if like we would offer free trial. And by the end of it, we would ask you to like input your credit card if you enjoyed using it. So. I, I didn't test this, we didn't test this, but I think the reason why the entire like SaaS industry is doing it this way, like most of, of the companies and not another, is because this, this, this is how it works. And yeah, the, the reason why we decided to charge for our trial is because those two weeks of like free and limited access to HF's tools resulted in huge abuse. Uh, of our service people were just uh, instead of signing up for our tools and using them as a paid subscriber they were signing up for new and new trials and at a certain point we realized that we had twice more people on with an active trial than we had paying customers so this is when we thought we should uh, create at least a small like uh, roadblock for them to, to sign up for a trial 
Initially, I, I asked Dmitry if we should charge like $1 for our 14-day trial. And actually, I, I asked if we should shorten the trial because 14 days is quite a lot. You, you can understand the value of HRFs actually in a few hours. You don't even need a week that we have today. To which Dmitry said, let's charge uh, $1 per day, which resulted in seven-day trial for seven days. And actually, I cannot, I cannot say this was even a marketing decision. This was more... I don't know, business decision, product decision, because on one hand, there were a lot of inputs that made uh, us and Dmitry specifically want to do this. On another, on another side, the seven day, $7 price point was kind of random. So Dmitry was just following his gut feeling, whatever like his experience was telling him was the right thing to do. And it worked. So like, again, we, it's, it, it wasn't like some fancy test where we would like test all sorts of variations. Let's charge like $1 for 14 weeks, $1 for seven days, $7 for seven days, $10 for seven days. Dmitry just decided like $7 for seven days sounds fun. Let's do this. And yeah, we didn't really test anything else and it just worked. Sometimes like it is one, one other thing about our philosophy, sometimes instead of uh, diving too deep into details and trying to obsess over like small things. You just need to do what feels right and continue doing some other things. Yeah, it's really cool that you say that as well, because I think a lot of people obsess over these details and then it stops them from trying something, something new, right? Because one thing I picked up from the video that you recorded about this is you said that, that you didn't have an exact way to track all of this, but the ARR kind of growth rate didn't really change, right? It remained yeah. fairly steady. And I think most people wouldn't, wouldn't try something so, although you made it sound very simple, like it was a fairly simple decision, to a lot of people, this is a drastic decision, right? And I think yeah. most people yeah. wouldn't try that because they'd be worried about the negative impacts that it, that it may have. So I would definitely recommend anyone watching this or listening to this goes and checks out that video because you explain everything in depth there. What, what I do want to ask you is that taking, taking that route, Although $7 isn't exactly a huge financial commitment, it is still a commitment that somebody has to make in order to do a trial. And it's something that is still, even though you guys have been doing it for a while now, it's still kind of strange in terms of a SaaS buying process, right? There's not many other people that are doing this. So I would assume as a marketer myself, that that leads to you guys probably having to do more education and like warming people up on the front end to get them to be able to make that decision to buy into something from the very beginning. So I know that this is reflected in the fact that all of your, or so much of your marketing is focused on content, but how, how do you guys approach content with that in mind? Like how does that impact what you do? Cause I know you put so much good quality stuff out there, whether it's video, whether it's things on the blog, and does that play a big part into why, like why you guys go so in depth on your content and so heavy on your content? Like how do you, how do you think about that when you're putting pieces together? So this is a great question. And I never thought about it. Actually, I never thought that we should somehow change our content strategy because we charge for our trial. They just naturally fit. So the thing is, the reason why we invest so much in educational content is twofold. First of all, uh, when you create content and we focus on content that would uh, rank in Google that has search traffic potential. So we don't publish just uh, articles about anything. We publish articles about things that people are specifically searching for in the SEO space. So whatever question they have about SEO, we try to be there in the, at the top of Google with our article. So this is the first thing. This is 
publishing content is our way to get traffic to our website and within our, within our articles we promote hrefs so this is the first thing it is acquisition secondly by creating content around all sorts of seo related topics and showing within our content how hrefs tools features and data help you solve your problems achieve your goals we are actually educating not only people who come to our website. So it's not, it's not just an acquisition play, it's also a retention play because all our existing customers, they have to learn how to use HRFs to be successful. And if we teach them enough tips and tricks to apply in their business to, to improve their own SEO, they will stay and they will keep paying to us as a customer. So our content works, works both for acquisition and for retention. And coincidentally, like by, by a happy coincidence, uh, it also allows us to get away with $7 trial because like you said, uh, a lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of SaaS companies think of onboarding and aha moment that happens after a person signs up. So they have to have some like super smart onboarding sequence. I don't know, some nurturing emails, some in-app, I don't know, tutorials or notifications that would, or even like interface changes that would funnel uh, a new subscriber, a new customer towards aha moment when they would realize how to use the software. So for us at Ahrefs, because Ahrefs is a toolkit, we have five main tools uh, and a bunch of smaller tools. And those tools have different use cases depending on which part of your SEO do you want to work at. Do you want to uh, research keywords and understand what your customers or potential customers are searching for? Do you want to do the audit of your website and check uh, what kind of SEO issues you have? Blah, blah, blah. There's no single use case that would lead towards aha moment. So creating the kind of onboarding that would understand which problem a person uh, came to solve and funneling them towards this problem and giving them this aha moment would, would require like some serious, some serious work. I think you could actually launch a, a, a dedicated SaaS product for having this kind of onboarding. So in our case, aha moment happens before you sign up. So this is when people search for something in Google, they have a problem with their SEO. Uh, they search uh, in Google, they find an article on Ahrefs blog, they read it and they understand how to solve their SEO problem with the help of specific feature in Ahrefs. And then they, this is the aha moment, they understand what it does. And then they go and they understand what they're paying $7 for because they just read an article of how to, like how they're going to get the bank for their buck. So that's it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think it's kind of funny, right? That a lot of the time, these different strategies or like tips and tricks and growth hacks that people are looking for are actually at the core root of things. Very, very simple. It just takes yeah. us to actually deliver on those and do them at, at a quality, right? Because like essentially it, it's super simple in terms of how you've explained that, I guess you would call it a funnel, but like the process that people go through, right? It's like, Hey, if we, if we help people solve their problems and educate them and then show them how our tool can be a good fit to do that, like it makes sense that they're going to want to check it out. Yes. I think uh, it's, it's so simple, but a lot of people miss that too in terms of, okay, they, maybe they're writing, maybe they're writing blog posts or content pieces that answer the problems that their target customers are having, but then they're not integrating into those posts how you can help them solve that. Instead, they're just putting a call to action at the end, like, oh, and you can come and do a 14 day free trial, right? Yeah. Um, and then some people just aren't doing that at all. They're hoping, oh, if someone's read this, then they're going to then check out my website and see what we do and then sign up. And like, that's just leaving too much up to, up to like other yeah. people to decide. Right. So it makes total sense the way that you guys 
have things structured. And I think that's a tip actually that a lot of people listening to this can take away is to, even just from their content and their content strategy is go and check out how you guys are doing things and how you not only answer those pain points, but show people how you can actually support them using your talk. Cause I think a lot of people miss out, miss out on that for sure. And um, I think that's really good advice. So yeah. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that with me. I just have a couple other questions cause I think you've been pretty clear as to, okay, what the strategy is, why this, like how this works for you guys. And I think most people listening to this are probably going to be, sitting down thinking, oh, should we change our, like, our trial workflow or system, et cetera? And that's a big decision to take, of course, that will require some thought. But aside from that, like switching gears ever so slightly, what's one thing that you guys are doing marketing-wise at the moment that is either working really well for you or that you're really enjoying? Like, what's one, one thing that is super fun for you guys at the moment? Oh, this is a good question. Well, probably one thing that I'm enjoying personally is that because of the situation with the crisis and the pandemic, uh, a lot of companies are offering uh, a lot of help to, to, their, to their customers, to their industry, to their community. And one of the things we did is I have uh, a course that I created within HRFs. It's called Blogging for Business, where I actually outlined the uh, everything I know about growing a blog and making your blog your customer acquisition channel, pretty much the things that we just uh, were talking about. And I showed uh, like with the examples how we, uh, which strategies we use to grow HRF's blog. And uh, that course was a paid one within HRF's. It, it, we charged $800 for it. Uh, but because of the pandemic, we decided it is a good chance to release it for free because people have to stay home. They have a lot of free time. They are not allowed to go anywhere. And so we released the course for free. And so far we, we were running also some ads because since we released the course for free, why not like use this opportunity to, to advertise it. And the cost per click for those ads is super cheap because people enjoy when stuff is being released for free. And uh, uh, last time I checked over 100,000 people started the first video of the course. Of course, after the first video, it drops uh, two thirds of people just uh, go away. Probably they get scared because of my accent or something. I don't know. But yeah, tens of thousands of people right now are going through the course. And almost every day I see tweets and new LinkedIn connections that are thanking me for, for great content. So yeah, this is something I'm enjoying a lot. And I'm going to update this course, like create, because it's two years old now, I'm going to create a more uh, up-to-date version with a lot of new stuff that I've learned uh, since the course was released. And yeah, I'm looking forward to relaunching it again and probably will uh, relaunch it for free before making it paid again. Because yeah, we're not in the business of selling info products. This is why we can afford to offer our like premium course for limited time for free and then close it uh, for whoever wants to have permanent access to it. Awesome. That's really exciting and really like generous of you as well. So I'll make sure that I put in the show notes for this, the link to, to the page about the course, but also anyone Thank that's you. listening or watching, they can just go ahead and check out It's blogging for business, isn't it? That's what blogging it's for business. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So just one more question before we, before we wrap things up. Uh, I also want to ask you what's one thing that you're um, or like, what's the biggest challenge that you guys face within your marketing at, at AREFs? The biggest challenge for me personally right now is finding the next big efficient thing we could be doing because our CEO and founder Dmitry has this restriction. He wants to build a company with a lean team. He wants to build like, I know, a billion dollar company with a lean team. So he doesn't want to grow the team past 50 people. 
So actually, we are maybe at 52 right now. I don't remember, but uh, he wants to stay in the ballpark of 50. So we can't hire too too many too many people and expand our team. I don't know, like like other companies are doing. Whenever they need to expand uh, to Spanish, for example, they hire entire like Spanish marketing team. So yeah, we we cannot do that. This and this is why I'm challenged with. Uh, so we have blog that is uh, going smoothly. We have like YouTube channel. I'm doing some podcast interviews as well. We are sponsoring some conferences and I'm like thinking what's the next thing that could work for us as efficient and effective as those other channels that we've nailed already. So this is the next challenge. I always find that an interesting question to ask to find out kind of what other people are, are working on. So Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for sharing this like help and support with everybody. And uh, I'll make sure that I put all of the notes to anything you mentioned in the show notes or the description underneath the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.